Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Freestyle Way podcast. Today, I sit down with Justin Castelli, who is a financial advisor and who talks about more than money. And uh, the topic of money is an interesting one to me as I have struggled with my relationship with money, whether I haven't had it or I've had an abundance of it. And that's something that Justin has done really well in navigating in his personal practice as a financial advisor and now through his new venture called Pursuit. So hopefully in this episode, you get some value and you get a new perspective on what money is and how you can use it as a tool to access more freedom. Before we get into today's podcast, I wanted to ask for a favor. And the favor is for you to rate and review this podcast if you're getting some value from it. And specifically in the review, if you could leave a comment stating what you've learned and from what guest you learned it, it would be amazing as that would give the guest a chance to go through the reviews and see their name there and see that that which they shared on the podcast had some impact and thus continue the momentum of this initiative going forward. So with that being said, thank you for considering to rate and review the podcast. And here is Justin Castelli on the Freestyle Way. This is the Freestyle Way. I kind of like to go. Yeah. So just like that, we, we're live and, and recording. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Welcome, man. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Hang on. Let me get that camera. There you go. Get, get, get yourself adjusted. Yes. yes. Um, I was on your podcast. Uh, you joined the interface. Mm-hmm. We got to talking. Uh, more than money, <laughs> more than just financial advice, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to just sit down with you and uh, chat about uh, several topic topics that I have in mind. Uh, but one one that it, I'm itching to talk about, and and maybe you're you know you talk about this all the time, but it's about money. Mm-hmm. And. Um, if I had to start with a question, like for you as a financial advisor and with your experience, how, how do you define money? What is money? I think money is a tool um, at the end of the day. It's a tool to help you accomplish the goals you have in life. So for me, it's a tool to bring me freedom and the ability to pursue the things that interest me the most. Now, I know from experience for a lot of people, money is the opposite of a tool. It's a, it's a restrictor. It is a um, limiter of what they're able to do because of the money stories that we come up with. And I've been an advisor for 18 years. I didn't always view money as a tool the way I do today. I viewed it as a tool of cover your bills and expenses, prepare for the future, get kids through college, like the traditional American dream goals. But I didn't look at it as a tool towards freedom, which is kind of how I look at it now. And freedom for everybody is different. And that means the amount that allows you to, to achieve that freedom is different, which is why finance is so much fun to me is that it's personalized. No two clients, no two situations are the same. Um, everybody's different. Although we want to compare each other to our peers, at the end of the day, only you know what you want out of life and what you want for your family. That trickles into the financial part of things. And then you can build a plan around it. There's a a saying that I love, and I've got to give uh, credit to Tim Maurer, who's a financial advisor, and he says, personal finance is more personal than finance. And I think most of us think personal finance is more finance than personal, but it really is the difference. Um, and it's kind of hard to say that, knowing how many people struggle with money, 
and how so many people don't have what they perceive to be enough. But at the end of the day, a lot of that trouble with money comes from outside influences. And what I have found is if you spend more time digging deep into your personal why, like throw everything else out, throw your parents' dreams and aspirations for you, throw society's goals for you out, what really is most important to you. If you can figure that out, then I think the finance side becomes a little bit easier and it's easier to tune out the noise of outside influences when it comes to your plan. And I love that you said more than money because I'm going to do a quick little plug. Uh, There's a community of financial advisors that I love so much that I co-founded called the AGC. And we actually have a book coming out in March of 2023 called More Than Money. And it is a book of 28 or 29 stories from real financial advisors, stories with their clients that show how money is more than just it's just it's more than the green dollar that we're used to the freedoms the obstacles people overcome with and all these stories that show that finance is way more than money uh, in the grand scheme of things that's amazing well you know when it when it comes to money i've had a strange relationship with money where i've been able to attract money mm-hmm. and then i have fallen into the trap of when i attracted um, enough money for it to be substantial, what we would consider substantial if you were to compare yourself to the average American. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started to hoard money and I was like, ah, I can't spend it. I can't do you know anything with it. And, and then the money that I would spend, I would spend it in a way that was a little reckless. And basically mm-hmm. uh, reckless meaning that I was spending it in a way where I thought I had to spend it. So for example, if, if we went out for dinner and I was out with people, I always felt like, uh, you know what, I should be paying for dinner. Mm-hmm. And it just became this habit of always covering the bill, paying for things, and then realizing, wait a second, it's like, what What am I really doing with this money? I feel like I'm mis- mishandling it, mistreating it. And uh, something interesting that happened to me was that the money that I was hoarding basically became stagnant and disappeared. Uh, it ended up going away in uh, taxes and other things that uh, <laughs> I didn't want to pay, uh, but I wasn't using it. So it just kind of left. Mm-hmm. And uh, the money that I, I, I spent in a way where um, I earlier said was reckless, but basically was uh, I was spending it just reflexively, reactively rather than deliberately uh, is money that I never saw again and didn't even feel good to spend. Mm-hmm. So when you when you said that money is a tool for accessing freedom, I guess the question is, yeah, what is freedom? Mm-hmm. Do you do you know what that is for you? For me, freedom is the ability to do what I want when I want, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. But if it's meaning that you know, this is fall break for my boys, if I only want to work hard two days of the week and then do a little bit of here and there the rest of the week, I want to be able to do that. If I have an interest in creating a new business, I want to have the means to be able to start that and pursue that. So for me, the freedom really is freedom. It's not being restricted in what it is that I want to do. And I'm willing to make huge trade-offs to maintain that. So you know, I think people sometimes think more money means more freedom, and that's not always the case. You know, I have a, a personal example of last year. I was the chief of staff at a startup, an exciting startup, really enjoyed it. Um, it was a platform bringing crypto to the financial advisor space. At the same time, I had my financial advising practice, um, RLS Wealth. There was the community I was a part of, the startup, 
And then there's me trying to maintain myself and stay in good shape and me be a present father for my boys, a supportive husband. And it became too much. And I walked away uh, willingly from six figures of income to not be doing too much because it was impeding on my freedom. Now, it gave me more economic freedom, if you will, because my bank account saw more and I was able to do some investing and some things that were really nice. But at the end of the day, when I looked at things, my health and my happiness and the stress I was putting myself under when I didn't realize it at the time was not worth the extra money. And, and I know it's a very fortunate and privileged position to be in, to walk away from any amount of money. Uh, but the point of the story is I realized what was more important to me and it was the values and it was my family, it was my health than it was to get more money. Um, and I think that in a lot of areas, no matter how much money you make, there are certain decisions that we can have um, that may bring you more money, but may bring more problems with it. Like more money, more problems isn't necessarily untrue. Um, I think once you get to a certain point, that becomes more and more true. So, you know, long-winded answer for me, freedom is, is truly having the ability to do what I want, be present with my family, and explore everything that I want to explore as a creative individual. Yeah, I love that. And I, I agree with a, a lot of what you just said. So if if money is a tool, regardless of how much money you have or how much access to money you have, because that's mm -hmm. that's a, a nuance to money, yeah. um, what are some truths about money that you have kind of found over the last 18 years of being a financial advisor? You shouldn't be afraid of money. And there's many levels of fear of money. There's the fear of not having enough, which I completely understand, and that's a real fear. Uh, there's a fear of having it and messing it all up, hoarding it and not doing anything with it. Um, it's the fear of scarcity and, and, and also going back to poverty. So I don't think money should be something that you're afraid of. It's something that you should respect. And it's also something that once you master your relationship with it, then it becomes something that accelerates, I believe, where you want to go. Um, so I think mm -hmm. the truth is you shouldn't be afraid of money. Um, when used properly, money can accelerate and amplify what it is that you're doing. So whether that is investing or investing in yourself, betting on yourself, uh, there, are way, there are ways to use money to you, uh, to, to, to move you forward. Um, I think that another truth I found, and this is more maybe in the planning world of things, um, that a lot of people are afraid of debt, which they should be. But debt is also a tool that if, when used properly can really move you forward as well. So there's good debt and bad debt. Not all debt is bad. Um, if you look at the people with the greatest wealth judged by the numbers in their bank account, doesn't mean they're the, they're not, doesn't mean they're the happiest, but the, the richest. I, I think... Rich to me is having a lot of money. Wealthy to me is having a holistic, happy life. So money, family, health all goes into wealthy. So if you look at the richest, um, they oftentimes leverage other people's money to benefit them, which is just basically a way of using debt. So I think that you know, debt is a tool that can be used when used properly. The tough thing is a lot of us don't know how to, so sometimes it's best to stay away from it. Um, those are the ones that jump out to me Right away. I think another truth to it is, is that, you know, distribution of money isn't fair. Um, and I don't know how to fix that. I also believe, and this may not be a truth, but this is a belief. I also, as I get older and I spend more time in this space, I also think that there is a lot of 
control over our mindset and our relationship with money that keeps a lot of people stuck. Meaning I think that we're told not to strive to like one of my money stories, and we may get to this that I've just recently overcome with is I've always been afraid to make making more money a goal of mine. I thought that that was greedy and that was bad. So like I limited what I probably would be able to do just by my mindset, not seeing myself as somebody who could go out and make more money when I realized that the reason I want to make more money than what I make today is to go do good things. I want to invest in people. I want to pay off people's debt. I want to use that money for good. So why should I limit myself through my mindset to be afraid to make more money? So I think there are these narratives and these societal um, limitations that are placed on us that we aren't aware of from an early age that kind of keep people from um, being able to believe that they have the ability to go take take control of their finances. Now, there are structural things that are messed up in our society. Like to think that there are banking deserts in the U.S., meaning there are communities that don't have a bank branch within miles of them. Um, and oftentimes they don't have access to internet. So how are they supposed to have access to bank? And that, that's why they go to the payday loan centers and the loan sharks and, and people get put into this. So there is a systematic wide societal problem when it comes to money that makes money unfair. Um, I think there are is, is more awareness to it today. So the problem is working on being addressed, but it's so ingrained and it's so strong that it's going to take time to bring economic, um, not freedom, but economic um, equality across the board, or at least the opportunity for economic equality to everybody. So I do think that's a truth. Like I love the profession. I love what it is that I do, but I also am real and realize there are a lot of barriers that are out there that many of us will never understand because we don't experience them. So therefore we don't know that they're there, but I bet most people listening don't know about banking deserts. Um, they don't know about the unbanked, mm -hmm. the, the, those that have no opportunity to even have a chance to manage their finances if they're even able to make money. Yeah, that's insane. I I had heard of this, uh, but I'm I'm definitely not uh, super familiar with it. And just hearing you say it made me very curious and be like, oh, I think I want to learn more about this because I, I do think there's there's a big shift that's happening not only in the worldwide economy. Of course, I'm a big fan of Ray Dalio and his his latest book, um, The Changing World Order. It's interesting to me. Uh, but in addition to that, I think there's just um, our relationship to money can be complicated. And mm -hmm. and something that I've been thinking about, uh, especially with my grandson now, I've been thinking, okay, if if I had to leave him like a little uh, playbook for how to work with money, use money, uh, generate money, what would that playbook say? And I don't know if this is something that you you have thought about with your kids, but are you are you already educating your kids on on money and and how to manage it? And if so, what are some things that you're doing? What are some uh, principles that you're maybe teaching? Yeah, so we have open conversations um, about money. I have taken the approach that a lot of people don't feel comfortable with. Um, you know, money has always been a taboo subject, but the boys know how much money I make and their mom makes. They know how much we have in investments. They know our net worth. They know not to go talk about it, but I want them to understand it. And I guess there's some chances that that could make them feel entitled, but they also know that, that that's not their money. <laughs> that's their mom and I. So first off, having a dialogue around money and, and letting them not wonder about it and in talking to them about what that means and why we're able to do the things we're able to do and how we were able to to 
um, earn and save what we were able to serve, save. So that's that part of the conversation. Um, we have, I have accounts that I've opened with them that I've allowed them to pick stocks and invest. Overall, I'm more of a fan of picking diversified, low cost funds and kind of letting the market do its thing. But I want them to experience the ups and downs of investing. So exposing them to investing at an early age. I have a video on my YouTube channel. I think it may be almost three years old now that they were the, they had to pick funds, stocks. So they picked Amazon and Best Buy and Sony, all these different stocks. But I had them explain why. And it was really cool to see it. They would have been you know, maybe nine and seven at the time. The thought behind why they picked those, you know, we picked Amazon because we have Amazon boxes all the time. And we picked Shopify because mom's store runs Shopify. And that they're already picking these things up. And we really hadn't had a big conversation about it. Um, so giving them the opportunity to experience investing. Now, one thing I don't do that is kind of embarrassing is we don't really have them earn an allowance. And we probably should. Um, they get money for their birthdays and other things along those lines. Um, but we don't really pay them for their chores. Um, so there's, I, we haven't really had a big heart to heart on budgeting. And if I could go back in time, I probably would have started that earlier teaching them. All right. For every dollar that you earn, you got to put this much away for taxes and you got to save this much. And then you got to donate this much. And then this is what you can either save or you can spend it. And if you save more then you can buy a bigger thing and, and they do understand saving. So they really want to have a PC for gaming and I'm not buying a PC for gaming. So I said, save your money. Like when you get your birthday money and they have their piggy banks and they put, they put cash in there and we have savings for them as well that they put money into. So they're learning that we've just done it indirectly without having them do um, chores for money. But I think as they get older, like next year, they'll start cutting the grass and I'll, I'll pay them because they saw me pay the neighbor boy who, who cuts our grass. But I think the, the biggest thing I would tell you with your, your grandson or anybody with kids, regardless of age, the sooner, the better, it's just having a conversation with them. You don't have to be as open as we've been as far as telling them what we make and showing what we have. Um, but talking to them about what money and, and why, we, why we do certain things and why we can't have certain things. And, and I also think that if you come, if you're, you know, we always want our kids to have it better than us. And I would say that our boys are spoiled. And I know that, but I also I want to do that for them because that's what a, a parent does. What I'm trying to, to work on is showing them the other side that, you know, because they are spoiled, there are a lot of kids out there that don't have anything close to what it is they have, whether that be a family that is, you know, a loving family or a nice house and toys and being able to play soccer and basketball and, and, you know, having all the things that they have and experiences. So I'm working on trying to educate them because that's a big part of the, the conversation as well is if you are in a situation of privilege, you know, exposing your kids either through, you know, volunteering or taking them or, or just conversations that you know, be thankful for what it is that you have because you were born into a lucky situation. Um, and, and, that, and I hope that that I hope that that helps them appreciate money today and in the future. Um, and I, I have a story that I think is is kind of cool that I know it's I know it's working in some regards. Um, I like to tip big. You, you'd have to be a horrible server or waitress or waiter and be really, really rude for me not to tip big um, because I look at it as like, I'm going to tip the, the traditional 20, 25%, but the extra that I'm going to tip you will mean more to you probably than it does to me. Not even on a dollar sense, but just on a like appreciation of you being a human taking care of me. Because so many people are bad tippers that like when you tip somebody well, 
you see the excitement and, and, it, and it's, I think it's less about the money. It's more about being seen. And we were in a, um, Leo had a basketball tournament and we went to this Mexican restaurant with probably like eight or nine of the family. So there had to be 25 people there at least at this Mexican restaurant. And I know that not everybody there was going to tip well. So I made sure, not because I wanted him to say anything to me, but I wanted to make sure that the waiter got our tip and was knew that he was appreciated for the work that he did. And he came back to me at least three times thanking me and gave me a hug because I gave him a nice tip. And I remember looking over and seeing Roman and Leo see that. And we had a good conversation about, you know, why was that so meaningful for him on the money side? Why was that so meaningful on the emotional, um, you know, human side? And just trying to make them realize that um, not everybody has it as good as we do. And we need to take care of people if we can and, and let them see that. Because the other thing is, like, you just try to throw them into a hard time. And I don't want to do that. Um, you know, I don't want to, like, take away all their stuff and try to recreate what I'm trying to teach them about. Um, because I don't know if that's good or not either. But I think it all comes just down to mm-hmm. communication and conversations. Yeah. And also letting them make mistakes. There's- like. Um, sorry, I want to thought letting them make mistakes, like I've, letting them invest in individual stocks, letting them save up their money and buy something stupid that they're going to regret because then they're going to remember it so much with money. We have to experience ourselves. Unfortunately, you know, our conversation will hopefully help somebody else realize something about money sooner than they would have without us. But we can tell everybody, Hey, live below your means. Don't run up credit card debt save and invest because it's, you know, those are smart things to do with your money, but you have to go through that period of time where you spend money on stupid stuff. You have to go through that time. Like, man, if I wouldn't have done that and I had that, this is where I would be because then that changes your behavior. You have to have a little bit of pain. And unfortunately in life, most times we have to experience that pain ourselves to make a change and move forward versus I would love to learn through your pain, Carl, but it's probably not going to make me change something drastic about the way I handle my money. Exactly. Yeah, great points. Uh, You know, growing up in Europe, you don't tip in Europe. And if you do, it's just like less than a dollar. (laughs) You know, it's like you leave a coin. It's just like a gesture. But it's definitely not like a 20% tip uh, Mm -hmm. culture that you, you see here. Then again, the the, the service um, industry in Europe, for the most part, tends to be subpar compared to the U.S. So there is something about tipping that de- definitely does uh, work. But at the same time, the, the, the dissonance that I have at times is like you, you tip and then uh, you do it as a nice gesture. In that moment, it's exciting. And then that money goes and is blown on something that is actually not bringing more wealth to the person that you're tipping. And sometimes it's because they simply don't know how to manage the money uh, or it could be anything else. And that's where I, I experienced some some dissonance. And, you know, I, I, I've lived in, in San Francisco for almost 18 years and uh, there's a, a, a pretty large population of unhoused people and people that w- live on the streets. And uh, I've had a few relationships with people who are on the street. And um, one in particular, I remember, you know, bringing him uh, dry socks. Mm-hmm. I bought him some dry socks on a, on a rainy day. He was super thankful. And then I bought him some shoes. And then I made sure that every time I walked into the coffee shop, I came out and I, I got him a, a hot coffee or a, a sandwich or something. And then eventually uh, that led to us having a relationship. And then this relationship 
we started talking about, uh, you know, just basic, basic goals. And one of his goals was to get off the street or so, so he said. So we, we started taking all the steps where I was starting to invest a little bit of money and just like getting an ID, making sure that you, you have a PO box, a place where you can receive mail, uh, basic things. And, uh, one day he, he just disappeared. And, um, I talked to, uh, some of his friends who were in the same area, and uh, one one guy said, "Yeah, he got he got scared, so he just he had to leave. He couldn't he couldn't handle the responsibility. And yes, mm-hmm. this has to do a lot with mental health, but if you extrapolate this to the uh, the, the 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 greater uh, United States or even the the global community." I think there's a fear uh, when it comes to not knowing what to do mm-hmm. when you have the resources. Mm-hmm. And uh, on top of that, there's this fear of uh, responsibility because, uh, like you said, <laughs> more money, more problems. Mm-hmm. It, there's a lot of truth to that because the more money you have, usually the more resources you have access to, mm-hmm. uh, usually the more responsibility you have because you have put yourself in a position that attracts a certain amount of money, revenue. Mm-hmm. And that means that you have to be uh, performing at a higher level. Thus, you have to be more aware. You have to be more organized. There's so much that goes into it. And managing that relationship can be challenging. What have you seen as a financial advisor to be some of the biggest mistakes that people have made when it comes to... Uh, managing their money or managing their finances, especially when they start to pick up some steam, whether it's in the early stages or, or, or later on. I mean, one of the biggest ones is, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, um, overspending, uh, you know, living below your means isn't always a fun thing to hear, but it is one of the best things you can do, which is just basically spend less than you make. Um, and, and the thing with that is there's a, a term that we have in you know, the financial planning world of lifestyle creep which means as you make more money, your lifestyle creeps up with that additional income. So you have more money to spend, you know, you go to nicer restaurants, you buy nicer clothes, whatever it might be. And lifestyle creep, I think a little bit of it is good. So this is what also makes it really hard is, you know, let's say you get past the point of being able to just barely cover your necessities. Let's say you're to the point where you're, you've progressed enough to where you're making money and you can save and like, I think you, it's really important to have balance, which just adds one more hard dynamic to managing money, which is why I think that the financial planning industry is one of the best that's out there. There's a lot of bad actors, but there are a lot of great people doing great work, trying to find ways to bring financial planning and resources to those who may not be able to afford it. Because for a long time, advice and help in this area has priced out a lot of individuals. And there's a trend going on with subscription models where it's you know not based off of how much you have, but being able to pay a monthly fee. And some of those are even higher. But there's membership programs and things coming out that could be as low as $15, $20 a month to give you some resources and some education and a little bit of guidance to help you get going. So I do think as the trend in our professions begins to shift more towards younger, more forward-thinking advisors, no disrespect to the advisors that paved the, pave the way, but like the mindsets are different that more advice is going to come there and help. So I think one of the biggest things, again, going back to it is, is spending more than you make, trying to keep up with other people. 
And then it's not making wise decisions while you're in the building phase. It gets you, hopefully you can get to a point where you can be a little bit more frivolous with your managing of your money. I mean, I don't, I don't have a monthly budget. I allocate all my savings, do all the savings I need to do. And then what's left over we can spend or we don't spend and we save, which is, a, you know, again, very fortunate to be in that position, but I've also worked really hard to be able to get to that position as well. We weren't always that way. We did live by a budget beforehand and we're very disciplined with it. But eventually, if you save and invest and do the things the right way, you can get to that point. And I think that's a great goal for people to get to. Um, and it's one of those goals I think a lot of people don't believe that they can get there. Society is telling them, no, like you have to have, do X, Y, and Z. And I think that everybody has the, nah, I can't say it that way. There are going to be limitations and hurdles for, for some people, but I think we have more control over our life than we believe to be able to do those things. Um, some may have a little bit easier, some may have a little bit harder, but we still have more control. So um, the biggest habit, going back to it again as I ramble and get on tangents, sorry everybody, but my mind works, I get going down these different paths, um, is you know spending more than you make. So then you start getting into this thing where you're always living paycheck to paycheck. Um, not having an emergency fund. I know we talk about that early on in the planning process, um, but there's a reason for that. That way, if you have an unexpected expense, you've got it covered and you don't have to go run, put on credit card debt or, or try to find ways to get there. And those are money things that I think a lot of people oftentimes struggle with or get wrong, but there's some basic other areas. So financial planning is not just money and investments. That's what a lot of people think about, but it's also protecting your family. You're not having life insurance. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who want to sell you life insurance more than you may need different vehicles that may not be the best for you. Like that's another conversation, but how many times have you, have you seen the GoFundMe account for the young husband or wife that passed away unexpectedly and the money and the family doesn't have any money to continue going on. So not having the proper protections in place, life insurance, disability insurance, having a will, if you have children to make sure they go where you want them to go. And all of these really basic fundamental things that, a lot of people don't know they need to cover. Working with a financial advisor can help you get there. And that goes back to the financial literacy. So if I had to pick a few things to summarize, you may just want to cut all that rambling out and go straight to the summary. Um, I don't want to cut anything out. This is great. So, Keep going. So mistakes I've seen made, spending more than you make, living out outside of your means, um, not making wise decisions when it comes to allocating your dollars, you know, not having an emergency fund, um, not having the proper protections in, in place for your family, the insurances, the wills, um, those types of things. Those are those are very fundamental things that when you get those in, in, in good order, allow you to really progress in your financial planning. But a lot of people miss them. Either they don't have the discipline to do it, or I think more is the case, they don't know. Because um, financial literacy in the U.S. is not very good. Um, they don't teach it in the schools or what they do is very, very basic most people have never been taught it. So how can you therefore teach it to your kids? Um, so I think that the lack of financial knowledge is a big problem that leads to all of that, which is why I think it's cool that there's so many advisors out there that have podcasts to talk about these things and have blogs. And, you know, most of us have access to internet, at least on our phone, to where we can self-educate ourselves um, out there and learn a little bit about it. Yeah, great, great points. Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes with money. And I mean, I, when I was 21 and I didn't know what the difference between a debit card and uh, a credit card was. I was like, I don't even know what credit is. I was 21. Mm -hmm. 
which is insane just to say right now. I'm like, oh my goodness, how how is that possible? And uh, I remember, uh, you know, getting a checkbook in, in, in Spain where I grew up. There were, there were no checkbooks. You didn't have checks. But I got to the U.S., you know, open my bank account. They give you a checkbook. And they're like, oh, if to balance your checkbook, you just use the back of it. I was like, balancing a checkbook? Like, what does that? I, I didn't even know what, what that meant. Anyway, so I was, I was, uh, my financial literacy was zero. But I've always been very curious about money and uh and I guess my 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 um, my curiosity about money. We talked about fears. Like you shouldn't be scared of money. Money's a tool. Uh, clearly, managing money is something that is is super important. And um, something that happened to me was uh, when all of a sudden I I was met with some a financial crisis. This was back in uh, 2017, 2018. All of a sudden, I realized I couldn't afford to pay uh for bookkeeping mm-hmm. and i was like oh who's gonna do my who's gonna do my bookkeeping and i resisted doing my bookkeeping for a good 18 months mm-hmm. and then finally i just said okay i'm just gonna do it myself and the moment i did it myself i was like well this it wasn't that bad it was tedious mm-hmm. but it wasn't that bad and in that moment i felt really free like i took full ownership of my finances at, at that point in time and I felt really free. And I'm still peeling back layers. But I'm wondering, you know, what, what should some very basic financial practices be? Like you, for example, right now, you don't, you don't uh, manage a budget. But you know, okay, I'm going to allocate a percentage here. This goes into this bucket. This goes there. Yeah, what are some basics that everybody should be aware of? And, and right now, in my mind, as I'm asking you this, I am thinking about myself. But I'm also thinking about athletes that I work with. Like you know that I'm working with um, uh, athletes that are in the in the alternative sports space, mm-hmm. and they're just starting to get access to some money right now, and they're in that in between phase where they just have enough to make it, but they don't have enough to to scale and grow. Mm-hmm. What what are some non negotiable practices that they, I, we should be implementing? Um, yeah, regardless of what stage of development we are in, but especially if we are in that in-between. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think having a budget at that stage would be would be good because it's good to know where your money is flowing. So that way, if you do find yourself in a bind, you know the the level or the levers that you can pull and, and pull back on and say, I'm going to spend less here because it's not what is really important to moving me forward in my goals. So I do think having, whether you want to have a full-out budget or some type of software that allows you to analyze where is your spending going. Um, because one thing is we say we have certain values, but then when we look at our spending, it tells us we have different values. So do your, do your dollar values align with your, like your, your personal values? Hopefully they do, but most of the time they don't. We say we, you know, we value this, but we're spending money elsewhere and we're spending less or allocating less to the thing we say we value the most. So have a budget or, have a way to analyze your spending so you know where things are going and you can track it. And also so you can make sure you're not having charges against you. You shouldn't be having charge. Somebody doesn't have a, you know, your credit card or debit card racking up things on your own. So just managing that cash flow and understanding the cash flow. I think that's something that should be non-negotiable. Uh, so thinking of building wealth, you know, I, I do love investing. The stock market, despite what's going on this year, is a great way for us to make our money work for us over the long run. 
So if you, this probably isn't going to be to the alternative sports athletes, but there might be somebody out there who's working and has a 401k, you know, saving into a 401k, if there's a match to me is non-negotiable, um, get that free money, assuming you can afford to put the two or 3% in to get the free money. Like if that savings is going to mean you can't pay your bills, then don't do the 401k, but assuming you can cover your bills and you have some extra discretionary, go get that free money. And then you can stop there because then depending on your goals, now this is where the planning comes in to say, okay, now the next dollars you might be able to allocate towards your plan, where's the best place to go? And the example of somebody who is building their own brand or betting on themselves, you know, maybe they have a, a part-time job that has the 401k and they're doing their craft on the other side and together they're getting enough money. Maybe you get that free money and the next dollars go towards your own personal brand building that you're doing, investing in yourself. Could be investing in yourself into you know, taking care of yourself or into uh, you know getting into events or whatever it might need to be. But beyond that match, this is really where it gets personalized. Okay, what is needed for your personal goals? So non-negotiable on top of that would be understanding what you want. Like really, what do you want out of life? Because then that will allow someone like myself to help you direct your dollars or yourself. I mean, you're capable of sitting down and saying, if my goal is to do X, the dollars that I have available to apply towards that goal, where's the best place to do it? Is it putting it in a long-term investment when I need that money next year? Probably not. So building up my savings so I can afford to go um, make a bid towards the Olympics um, one day, that may steer where you're going. So I think understanding what you want is a non-negotiable as well. And I would encourage anybody who's going through that process to really ask why of themselves a number of times. So when you say, this is what I want to accomplish, ask yourself, well, why do I want to accomplish that? And keep on digging deeper because sometimes what we think we want, we realize is not really what we want. It's somebody in our ear or an influence we had in our life saying, go down this path. This is a good way to make money, but it's not a fulfilling path for you when you're really honest with yourself. So really strip back and get to know you and yourself and what you want most, and then bring that to the planning process. Um, other non-negotiables. I think those are good ones to get started because then, like I said, once you get past a certain point, it really does become individualized. Um, so I would say educate yourself on money as well, whether that is working with a professional, listening to podcasts, reading books, like there's tons of great information out there that's easy to tell what's the good information versus what's the bad information. If you're going to TikTok for your financial information, chances are you're probably not getting the best out there. There's some good education on there, but there's a lot of scammy stuff. So understanding the sources and what's reputable um, and what speaks to where you're wanting to go. There's a lot of great resources out there to, to educate yourself if you don't have the understanding already. Do you have a few recommendations for uh, books? So one of my favorite books is Morgan Housel's The Psychology of Money. Um, so that is kind of getting more into the emotional side of investing and why, and, and why we view money the way we do. And I think that's such a great book to dive into when you're really starting to understand your personal finances because it will help you understand why you view money the way that you do. Um, it's going to help you understand the behavioral biases we have as human beings and then help you maybe realize some of your money story. So psychology of money is one that I really like. Um, I should have, I should have known you're going to ask that had some more 
to to bring to the table. I you know it's funny as a financial advisor, I give away more non-finance books than I do finance books, and I, and I yeah. Think what what be- are some non-finance books? Yeah, like I, I I love The Alchemist. I would tell anybody to read The Alchemist because the, the books I want to the books I want to give away are more about our our personal journey and figuring out who we are because I know that's the key to figuring out and managing your finances. When you know who you are and what you want, then being able to be disciplined with your money and, and having trade-offs of not doing this so you can do that, it becomes easier. It's when we don't know ourselves and we're wandering and now all of a sudden we find ourselves with money that we're, we maybe aren't the most responsible with it. So I love The Alchemist. Um, it's a quick read. What else do I have over here? Um, I'll shoot you. A, we can add this in the show notes. I'll shoot you some more. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show notes. We'll we'll have it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones that are really really good. Yeah, I'll put together a list. A lot for of people you. are maybe like, "Hey, uh, uh, so it's this is interesting, and this is one of the things that I I really uh, enjoy about you is that although you uh, you understand the importance of maybe being fis- fiscally conservative and uh, you understand money and uh, you're a finances guy, you're, you're also somebody who believes in uh, creating a lifestyle that attracts the things that you need, the things that you want to learn, uh, and maybe uh, more uh, out there language, uh, manifesting a, a reality that is 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 yours so it's kind of like uh think and grow rich uh is, yep. is that a book that we should be reading is that is that an important book is, is the psychology of that book important and and if so uh yeah what's your take on it i think it so i'll be honest with you i've never read think and grow rich i have it i know what it's about i know every, like i believe in all that and i would say yes i think that's an important book to read or one like it you know the power of now these books that kind of open our eyes to how much our mindset and our view on life and the energy that we put out um, attracts things into our life. And I know, I, you know, I used to like disclaim it and say, I know that sounds woo woo, but like I believe in it so much now that you can't convince me that these things aren't true. So like I'm, I'm diving deep. Like there's a book I'm reading now called the adventure of I, and I've been sharing all these passages from it, but it's talking about the seven laws, seven universal laws. And like one of them is, the law of balance, which says that the universe always strikes to keep everything in balance. So that if you want to create more wealth for yourself, as crazy as it sounds, you have to create it in balance. So giving or whatever, and it doesn't always have to be money, giving more of your time, giving some of your money away, it creates this imbalance that the universe wants to balance out. Um, and it, it sounds crazy, but I look at my clients, the, my clients that give the most somehow seem to come into more money throughout their life to replenish what they've given and more kind of creating that balance. I also think it could be a view of like, okay, if we know you're doing good with, with dollars, we want to give you more to continue to go do good. So I do think going back to think and grow rich, I do think your mindset sets, sets the table for where you're going to be going. You know, I'm a, I've always been an optimist my whole life. It doesn't mean that I don't, pay attention to the, the negative that's out there, but I just don't let it over, over, overcome my mind. Um, so yeah, Think and Grow Rich would be a good one just from the mindset standpoint. I don't know what it talks about with money, but understanding that what you put out is what attracts. 
think about, you know, when you're going through a tough time and when you have negative thoughts, how negative things keep on coming. Like they say bad things happen in threes. It takes a little while to get out of a funk. So as you're, as you're down and feeling upset, you're, you're putting out negative energy that pulls another negative thing to, to you. Um, I, and I tweeted this just last night. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, but like what we consume really sets the table for the direction that we're going and, and, and for our mindset. Cause we were talking about how he'd been consuming a lot of content of like Jay-Z talking and the, the people that inspire him. And he's been really motivated and having a lot of success lately. And I'm like, well, you're, you're putting all of this great content that's motivating and you're tuning out all of the noise that's out there. So naturally you're going to be on a good wavelength right now because you have all good things coming in. And I was sharing with you beforehand about, you know, watching wall street and Mark Wahlberg and I'm doing the same thing. I'm kind of in this environment where the only things that I'm consuming are all positive, motivating and inspirational things. And I'm on a really good run right now. And I, and I don't think that what I'm consuming is not impacting that at all, which goes to the think and grow rich. So I think it's a great book um, to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I mean, the alchemist is a, is a great, uh, uh, great example of that, which is, you know, you, you can, you can transform things into, uh, wealth. The question is, how do you do it? And something that I've noticed, uh, when it comes to this idea of giving, I am a very giving person, but sometimes to, uh, the detriment of my health and well being. Mm-hmm. uh, furthermore, even if I'm able to manage uh, the stress that maybe comes with giving more than I'm capable of sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm uh, going to be uh, rewarded for that or uh, it's going to be reciprocated, I tend to put a barrier up and say, no, it's okay. You don't, <laughs> you don't need to pay me. You don't need to give me anything. And I self-sabotage there. Mm-hmm. Is this something that you uh, have had to work through or dealt with? And if so, um, yeah, what is some advice that maybe you would give myself or, or anybody in my situation that is, is in a position to receive, but somehow kind of downplays and says, ah, nah, it's cool. You, you, don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to pay me. <laughs> it's, it's good. Yeah. I, I do the same thing. Um, and I think what I try to tell myself, again, going back to the, you know, the universal law of balance, like I'm keeping things unbalanced for that individual by not receiving. And, and we have to receive um, and be willing to receive. And the reality of it is the reason that I'm assuming this is for you, I know you well enough, but the reason for me, like the part of the reason I don't want to necessarily be paid is because I enjoy doing what I do. So like for me, to sit down with another financial advisor for two hours and talk about what their business model could be and how could they grow. Like that's stuff I enjoy doing. So I feel bad asking to be paid. Um, and like, I think about, I always like to support my friends and any ventures that they're doing. So I have subscriptions to services and I buy gear that I probably don't need, but I want to support my friends. But then when I have my own stuff, like I want to give it to my friends. I want to give them a discount. I don't want them to like, so I create that offset and I just have to realize that in order for things to, to work well, we have to be able to receive just as much as we like to give. So I don't have any concrete mm-hmm. advice other just to remind that, you know, we have to allow people to give to us because if we don't, we're denying them the feeling that we get when we give to other people. And that's not fair either. So we've got to keep things in balance. Yeah, that's huge. 
That's huge. Yeah, that's a that's a psychological part that I I'm currently working through, but I'm I'm trying to remind myself. Oh yeah, I'm ready to receive, and I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say yes, thank you, thank you, uh, and well, just welcome it. And I think you also have to tell you if if you find yourself in that situation. I'm not saying this is your your narrative in your mind, but for people who find themselves in that situation where it's hard to receive, you also have to believe that you're worthy to receive it as well. There's a lot of head trash that goes on that says, well, I'm not like, I'm not good enough to be paid for what it is that I do. Like, who am I? Like, you are that person. If you did that, you are that person. If somebody came to you for that help, you are that person. And, and, and you deserve to be compensated for your time and your skills. And you just have to believe it. Um, and I think that's another thing. And I think I've, I've, you know, I've um, had to bat- battle that myself, maybe not in the form of compensation, but from where I want to go with some of the initiatives I have going on right now. And I finally was able to overcome uh, my podcast for a long time. I've been creating content for seven years. I don't necessarily think it's the greatest content in the world, but I don't think it's bad. I think it's good. I, you know, I believe in myself, but I have been so reluctant to allow my reach to grow. Um, and I used it under the, the excuse of, well, I wanted to be humble and I didn't want it to be about the viewers. But what I'm realizing is because I was being quote unquote humble, it was really a lack of confidence um, and not believing that I could have a show that could be that big. I have limited my reach and limited my message. And the way I was able to overcome this was that I believe today I have a message that's really important to hear. I have messages that are important to hear. And if I believe that, then I need to do everything in my power to get it in front of as many people as possible. Um, and, and that little shift in perspective and belief in myself allowed me to overcome asking for reviews, asking for likes. Um, and now I'm embodying that big time podcast because I believe that's what it is. And we talk about, I'll see it when I believe it. And we really need to flip it. And, you know, when I believe it, then I'll see it. I, I can't be that. I can't have that big podcast in the future until I believe it myself. And so long I was going through the motions and doing the things I was supposed to get there, but I was putting my own glass ceiling because of my own self doubt and head trash. And now I've gotten past that. And I made a visual that I shared that I I took a screenshot of the top 10 health and wellness podcasts because that's where I see pursuit falling in. And I, I don't know who number three was, but I put my podcast thumbnail over that. So it's, um, Jay Shetty's number two. I'm number three. I think 10% happier is number four. And I put that out there just as a visual, um, because I believe my podcast is that good and will be there one day and I have to own it. So again, another long ramble, you have to believe that you're worthy to be compensated for what it is that you do. And I think a lot of us yeah. self limit by our doubt, imposter syndrome, all the other things that come up. But at the end of the day, if somebody's coming to you for help, then you are that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 huge. And I think this is where uh, nurturing that belief comes into play. And this is something that when, anytime I experience a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, there's hope, there's something here that I, I feel is right for me. I always tell myself, okay, you, you need to see that as an ember. And now you need to stoke that fire. And you need to remember to stoke that fire daily until it becomes the thing that you felt originally it could be. 
but this is this is very hard, and and that's why I think we need practices. And and some of the practices uh, at times can be as simple as this: as having conversations that allow us to explore these ideas in a way that allow us to remember and be like, oh yeah, yeah, uh, spending more than than I make is probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Logic <laughs> is there, but uh, in my habits, uh, they're not. And I think that that is is huge. And and for you, I mean, you made a few transitions uh, lately, and one of them is uh, you, you really leaned into this uh, new venture, Pursuit. Can, can you talk to us a little bit about Pursuit and, and what this is and where it came from and what you're doing with it? Yeah, Pursuit is, uh, right now, it's, it's a brand. Um, I have a longer description of it that I need to memorize, but eventually Pursuit is going to be a multifaceted creative collective. But the whole premise behind it is I want people to find the passions in their life and bring that to their life. Um, Cause I, and, and it's all been a reflection of my personal journey. So I started my own advisory firm back in 2015. Prior to that, I worked at bigger firms, independent firms, but when I became an entrepreneur, then I was free to do things the way I wanted to do it. And that is when I was able to really listen to my heart and follow the passion. So if you were to go back and you know look at my blog or look at my content and look at what I was doing, I've been all over the place. And that was just me following my interest to see, is this the thing for me? Like I know I'm supposed to be where, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not all the way there yet. And it's been wandering. And what I realized is that by following my heart and experimenting and creating, it led me to where I find myself today, which is where I'm supposed to be. Like I wouldn't have pursuit wouldn't exist if it wasn't for all the experimenting. And I look at the life that I've created with my wife for my family. I look at the business that I've created and how I help my clients and I have no complaints and I want as many people as possible to find that for themselves. And what I have realized is it's not for most people. It's not the path that society has set us down that we have been kind of put into a box. And I think our way out of that box is to find the things that we're most passionate about and follow them and let that be our guide. And now it doesn't mean be reckless. Like I don't want to be the guy that says, Oh, just quit your job and follow your passions. No, like it's introduce the passions of your life into your life and see where it goes and and nurture it and give it space and see what it can be. And for some people like myself, my passion actually gets to be my job for other people. The passion Maybe it can't be their job or they don't want it to be because then when the passion becomes a job, now it's a job. It's not their passion and they've ruined it. But you'll never know what that tipping point is if you don't give it time. Um, So Pursuit is really a brand that wants to encourage people to really find out who they are. And this is this is, you know, from my personal spiritual journey over the last year and a half of figuring out who I really am. Figure out who you are, what is most important in your life. What are the things that you're not doing that you want to and why and work through that? And where I hope to be a unique personality in this space is I want to lead you down that spiritual journey and tell you why and give you all those resources and have those conversations. But then a lot of people never follow their passions. Why? Because money. I have 18 years of experience as a financial advisor and I have evolved the conversations and the planning that I've done to help people do that. So I want to bring the finance conversation to the spiritual conversation and put those two things together because I think that the spiritual fuels fuels the finance and the finance ends up fueling the spiritual and they work together. And 
there's a, a, a planning like belief in our profession called life planning, which I really subscribe to. George Kinder is the individual who started it. He's got some great books out there as well. But George talks about aligning your values and your dollars. And I, that always resonated with me. And that's kind of how I did my planning before I even read his books. But I want to take it, I don't want to say to the next level. But I think it's just taking alignment of your values and your dollars and looking at it from a different angle. I don't want to align them. I want to put your values and your goals and your passions in the center and then build the finances around that. Um, and, and to me, that's what I want Pursuit to be. So right now, Pursuit is content. It's a podcast. It's a weekly newsletter. I do videos. Um, I like doing these little documentaries where I just want people to see what passion could look like and, and how they can incorporate their life just to encourage them to go pursue it and see what it looks like. So there's content. I just wrapped up my first collective, which is basically like a cohort class, which was designed to help people find that passion, figure out why they're stuck and what what can they do um, to, to find more happiness and create a life that they really want. But I have a big vision for Pursuit and I haven't shared it in a lot of places, but you know, one day I want to have a production company. I want to have a record label. Like every so Going back to Mark Wahlberg, everything creative that I want to, to be a part of I want Pursuit to be able to bring that to me, but then to help people that in that space. So on the record label, I'm not trying to compete with Def Jam. I want Pursuit Records to be, you only ha- you only release one album on Pursuit Records. And while you're on the label, we help you learn how to build, create your own independent label. And, and when album one is done, your next album's on your own independent label. We don't want you here anymore. And I want to try to use this as a vehicle to empower people to pursue those passions and do it responsibly, bringing the finances to it. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of a spinoff of RLS Wealth, um, but I'm tr- I want to do it in a way that I can scale it to help and impact more people. You know, as a financial advisor with a director of operations and a chief people officer, there's a finite number of people that I can help. And I'm maxed out. I'm not taking on new clients. I'm loving the clients that I have, taking good care of them, keeping those relationships going. And then instead of trying to grow the firm with staff and more clients, I'm dedicating my energy energy to, towards pursuit and finding ways to encourage more people to go down this path. And then eventually I'll have ways to bring fundamental financial resources to them. Um, the membership program, that's kind of more of a coaching thing. And I've got some ideas to merge the two together. But as you know, building a business, you got to build the foundation. And the foundation of pursuit, as much as I would love everything I've done to this point to carry over, it doesn't. Because my audience for all about your Benjamins and things I've done in the past has been very heavy financial advisor and not creatives. And one thing that has evolved just in this short time of pursuit is that I think that the people that pursuit is going to resonate with, they have a creative side to them. And I think that part of following your passion is expressing yourself through your creative being that we all have that for some of us like myself was silenced for a long time. I'm not, I was nowhere near the creative that I am today for most of my life. And now that I let her out, like I can't stop it. You know, you, I, I do try to do drawings. I do keynote visualizations. I do video, I do audio, like all these things. I just, I have a desire to paint. Like I want to see what it's like to be a painter. And this creativity excites me brings my energy and brings me closer to the things that are most important to me. Um, so anyways, mm-hmm. that's a long winded answer. I need to get the elevator uh, pitch of what pursuit is, but I'm still in the figuring that out phase. 
that's awesome. But the good thing is that this podcast is not about the elevator pitch. This this right. is about the just the exploration of these ideas. And I believe that we find clarity the more we express them. And and mm-hmm. something that you know by by being part of the interface mm-hmm. uh, experience that I, I hosted is that we go through four phases: expression, experimentation, integration, and transcendence. Expression is just you just do, and mm-hmm. and that's the the nature of the creative is that you just do, and then eventually you move into the experimentation, and the experimentation is when you notice how that which you are expressing it, it has a foothold. There's traction. There's something there that is moving you forward, and that's when you start to really focus and experiment on how am I going to deploy these things that work. Mm-hmm. And then eventually that starts producing results. You start to integrate those lessons and then you uh, transcend. And this is where including everything that you've learned along the way and then transcending, moving beyond, scaling, expanding is is where things really get exciting. And you kind of return back to where you started, the expression. But the foundation, like you said, for the business is there. The foundation for the the brand, the philosophy is there. The message is there. The campaign is there. The, it, there's a lot of coherence and, and cohesiveness in, in the whole thing. And I think that's amazing. Something that stood out uh, as you were uh, talking was about this this idea of having a record label and maybe deviating from the traditional model of like, okay, we're going to sign you. Now you're going to owe us five five uh, uh, albums or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, okay, one album. Made me think about this idea of um, how we're trying to move towards uh, decentralized models within the crypto space, but it requires a centralized uh, expression of it or hub uh, to get there. It sounds like in many ways, pursuit is a bridge between the two worlds, the centralized, the heavily centralized world and the more uh, decentralized world. I- is that true or am I just making that up? And and if it is true, uh, is this influenced by what you've seen within the crypto space? Are you in the crypto space uh, or is it just hocus pocus? <laughs> you know? I, don't, I don't believe it's hocus pocus. To be honest with you, I've never thought about pursuit in that way. Um, I, my, my goal in life, I have, I have a mission statement I condensed down to one word is impact. And I just want to leave an impact on everybody that I come across, whether that is the, the waiter or waitress that took care of us or the woman checking us out at the cash register. But I want to have impact. And for whatever reason, one of my ways of impacting is I want to put people on. So I love like I love highlighting others. I love supporting others. I get way more enjoyment and satisfaction in life when I see my friends succeed than me personally. But I've always had these business ideas where it's spinning people off. I have a I have a whole business plan to do that with financial advisors. And in fact, I actually did that with an advisor that worked with me, brought him on board, got him up and going, spun him off. And he's high flying. Like it's like I want to build to help people empower themselves, not line my pockets. Like I think I can make enough money to where me and my family are good, not having to do it on the backs of others, where I want to be able to help people take control and own their own business or own thing, because I know what that means for their family and for them financially, but quality of life, what it means for when a child sees their parent do that. Like there's just so much behind ownership that if it's right for that individual, like I want to do everything in my power to help them. And to me, I know nothing about the music business. So I got to figure that stuff out when the time comes. I just know that I love it. Like if I could do anything, if I could magically snap my fingers and have a skill, I would produce beats. I love music. I love hip hop and I love beats. I don't know how to do it, but I want to I experience that world. So if I have a record label, 
where I can help people. Now I get to experience that world and I get to help people take control of their life. I do think that it will in the future. I mean, I, I want Web3 to be a part of Pursuit. So I, I'm looking at how do I build a Pursuit token that you can, as you buy hats and sweatshirts, you earn Pursuit tokens that you can turn that into you know, a discount on your next purchase, or you can turn that into time with me. So you save enough Pursuit token, you can cash that in for an hour of my time to talk about financial planning or whatever it might be, or branding or marketing, the things that I enjoy and I have skills for. Um, or eventually Pursuit is going to have its own headquarters that there will be a recording studio and a video studio. You could use the Pursuit token to come in and use that so you can record your podcast. Like I, I do think that for creatives and creators, Web3 and, and crypto is a game changer because it puts the control into their hands. And we've tasted it, meaning a lot of people have, have gone out and they've sold an NFT or they've, they've, they've made money in Web3 and, and through crypto beyond just trading. They've used the infrastructure to build something for themselves. And now they see the control that they can have that they never had before. You're not going to be able to pull that back away from them, especially since crypto as a general is decentralized. It, it moves around. So um, I do think that Pursuit will have a heavy Web3 crypto uh, part to it in the future. I do think for creatives, that makes a lot of sense because, and, you know, if you're not familiar with crypto and what it could mean to a creative, if you think about art, you know, we think about physical prints like I have on the wall behind me, and there, that will always be a market for that. But you have a generation growing up in a digital age, like, and eventually they're already there, but frames are going to be hung up where I can flip through my NFTs. And if I know that you like a certain NFT, I can flex on you. And when you come into my house, Carl, I've got that, that NFT up there to let you know that I've got one and we'll just be able to cycle through. Well, as an artist, you can create an NFT and there's built-in royalties to them. And that's the same thing with music and other things. Because of the infrastructure, and you know, this isn't a crypto podcast, but it allows the creator to continuously get paid every time that piece of art or piece of work transacts. If you think about the artists today, there are people who are selling you know, famous paintings for millions of dollars, making tons of money on selling it. And the person who created it, that made all of the value gets nothing. They sold it one time for a fraction of what it goes for today. But with crypto, that artist continues to eat off of that initial creation and then their family can as well. And I think that is game changing from the way things go. And it's a, this is the direction the world's going. So um, yeah, I definitely am a fan of crypto. Um, you know, how to use it as an investment, not investment advice in this podcast, but um, I, I allocate to it regularly. It's a part of my overall diversified portfolio. Um, it fits my risk tolerance. And if it goes to zero, which I don't believe it will, my family's okay. I'm not putting all of my chips on it, just like I don't on any other investment. But I'm a believer in it. The projects that are going on, the talents that's there, um, do I think it overthrows the system? I don't think it does that. I think it's a part of the system going forward. But um, yeah, I do think that decentralization in crypto will be really powerful for creatives in the future. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. Um, I couldn't agree more. You know, what What hit me was that Pursuit seems to be a creative amplifier. That, that That's what Pursuit is. It's a creative amplifier. And um, it's almost like you are building a conglomerate, uh, a venture machine where uh, you're, you're kind of coming in, you, your team, whoever's there, uh, as temporary operators that can spin up uh, and, and spit out amazing projects. And with the, the Web3 
uh, era of, upon us, you you always have are going to have a connection uh, and access through smart contracts, for example. And I think this idea of having a smart contract, which if people don't know what it is, it's basically uh, agreements that you go into, and this is kind of built on uh, the Ethereum platform, um, and I guess Solana too, and and several others. But Ethereum was kind of the first one to really talk about smart contracts. Um, you need to understand one uh, the nature of nature, <laughs> which is understanding how what potential um, evolution are you going to experience through your creative uh, output. And what relationship do you want to be in uh, within that environment? And and I'm I'm kind of uh, expressing this in a convoluted way, but uh, I think this is where fiscal responsibility, understanding uh, the the basics of of scaling, and uh, the importance of uh, being a creative and how a creative actually influences the way that we create systems and set standards and and uh, even uh, create rules. Uh, is going to be key, and I and now I'm just projecting onto you, and <laughs> this is not my intention, but it, you you got me fired up. I see I see pursuit also as an educational hub for that. It's helping creatives not only amplify their creativity, their expression, but also educate them, inform them on uh, on how to do so, on how to amplify, and. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where you take it. This is, uh, it's pretty cool. It, in my mind, it, it's awesome. Um, so I look at, I, I pull like, my creativity is usually inspired by others. I wouldn't say that I'm an original creator. Um, so when I look at what Kendrick Lamar is doing with PG Lang, like that is what I want to, I want to do my version of that. Um, like that's what I look to aspire to build. And the funny, the cool thing is when he, if you look up PG Lang's description, he talks about it being a creative collective. Well, I had called my cohort the collective before I ever read PG Lang's um, description. So I thought it was really cool that I had chosen a word that that I found in something that I look up to and admire what he's building and that connection there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the biggest obstacle to pursuit truthfully is going to be like, it's just me right now. And it's not a profitable business and I have another business that has to take priority. So right now pursuit for me is a passion project and I look at it for a long game that I am building this for the long term. And and eventually there's going to be a, a turning of the, a changing of the tides that my focus will be less of being the financial advisor to clients and more to pursuit. But I think my plan is to let that just happen organically. And the way that organically happens is I have a lot of retirees and eventually retirement ends. So, I mean, it's, it's life. So eventually my business as a financial advisor is going to decline just through human beings lives. And if I don't replace that, then there's the ability for pursuit to replace it over time. So in some ways it's nice to know that I have time to build pursuit and build it the right way and kind of find my way. But as a creative and all the ideas that I have, it's also frustrating because I want it to be bigger already. Like I want to be doing all of these things. And sometimes I have to just remind myself that, you know, I'm moving in the right direction and it's not always going to be on my timeline and just keep on doing what feels right and everything will work itself out. And that's kind of, I have a number of experiences in my life that that's the approach I've taken and it's never steered me wrong, which gives me the confidence to not 
try to overdo it. Cause at the end of the day, if I had to, I would, I would pr- pursue it on the back burner to take care of my RLS wealth clients. Um, you know, I think I will, I worry sometimes in conversations, it makes it seem like I don't enjoy being a financial advisor. I love being a financial advisor. I love my clients. And obviously I wouldn't trade it because if I wanted to, I could have sold my business and just said, Hey, I'm going in a different direction, but I don't want to do that. Uh, so I have to remind myself as much as I love being a creator, uh, there is a primary business that needs to be taken care of first. And as long as I'm doing a good job there, then I have the ability to, to build this on the side. And yeah. I hope it ends up being Inspi- inspiring. And I hope it, I hope it ends up being a blueprint for, for other people of how, how to pursue your path. Like, I'm pursuing my passion and I'm not doing it in a foolishly way. I'm slowly doing it on the side. So the cool thing about pursuit is pursuit in itself is a living example of what I'm encouraging and trying to get people to do through pursuit, which I think is kind of unique. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. This podcast is called the Freestyle Way podcast, which is all about uh, exploring people's unique ways of navigating the world. And, you know, sometimes uh, if we look at people like yourself, we're like, oh, Justin, he knows everything. He has it figured out. Look how how well he's done. And it's it's just cool to hear that. Uh, somebody who has it together is still in an exploratory phase, still trying to figure things out, still adaptive. And uh, I hope, I hope for anybody listening, I hope that that feels empowering to know that no matter where you you are in life, if you choose to continue to be adaptive and wanting to explore and be curious and lean into your passion and keep pursuing your interest in these things that you're you're always going to live in this infinite state of of growth which is what it sounds like you're doing and although it's not clear what the outcome is going to be the feeling of that outcome is and that's that's what i experience when i'm when i'm talking to you which is just amazing yeah i there, there's a lot of other things that we we could dive into but as we're as we're getting to our time here I just wanted to kind of uh, end with this simple yet um, hard question to answer, I guess, which is if there was one one message, one thing that you continue to remind yourself of daily in order to continue to live in this state of infinite progression that you're in, what is that message? Do you Do you have that message? Is it something that is clear to you? My message to myself uh, very heavily today is being present. So I just shared with all these ideas and all these things I want to do and build and go be. And I am just really trying to focus on while that being the long term goal, being present. Um, And so that's what I kind of remind my like multiple times throughout the day. I'll say, you know, I am I, I am present. Because when you say that, you automatically become present in that moment. And what I'm trying to train myself to do is to just naturally be more present as it is. And it's been cool because there have been moments where I've caught myself being fully present. And some of it is eliminating things out of my life so my brain slows down. Some of it is my meditation practice and journaling. And like I'm doing all the things we make fun of the famous people who say they do it. Like There's a reason famous, successful people do these things because it works. So like all of that time, but the, I remember giving my youngest Silas a, a bath and he's four. And I just remember recognizing and 
taking in his laugh while he was like giggling in the shower or in the bathtub being silly. And I was like, the only thing that's occupying my mind right now is his laughter, nothing else. And I was like, I am, I am fully present in this moment and to experience it and recognize it makes me want more of that. The trouble in my mind as I think about these things and analyze is how do I stay present but still move forward? And so that's kind of like, I think with everything, there's a balance. I don't think it's possible for us to always be fully present. So I think it's like the, the moving back and forth, you know, past doesn't really bother me too much. Like I can move on from the past easy. I catch myself living in the future too much. Um, so it's really about being present for me right now. And I think if I continue to remind myself to be present, it takes care of everything that I needed to take care of. Beautiful. Yeah, I say we ended there. That was awesome, Justin. I feel like I, I'm going to have to have you on again because I have more questions. And maybe what we'll do is we'll, we'll do a, a year in review, you know, yeah. and a year from now, we'll just get back on and, and see where you're at. And uh, it would be amazing to see some collaborations uh, coming out of this. I, I mean, I want to work with you and I'm super interested in what, what Pursuit is, is becoming. So, uh, yeah, you have my vote. And uh, anybody who's listening, where, where can they find you? Uh, what's the best way to engage with you and, and maybe learn more about you? Yeah, I'll give you two websites. Um, JustinCostelli.io, my name.io, has everything that I do. So everything's on there. Uh, but I would direct you to Pursuit.co. So Pursuit is actually PRST.co. Um, and the, the letters, Which if you lean back, it's on, it's yeah. on your shirt, right? It's on the shirt. Yep. There it is. PRST.co passion, relationship, self, and time was the original meaning of pursuit. And then I also had added another meaning to a purpose reveals self, uh, in time. And then it's through our passions, relationships, soul, and thoughts. So like, I, I like these little acronyms and meanings behind it all. So it's, it's morphed over time, but when you go to pursuit.co that has all of the content, the podcast, writing, all of those types of things, which is really what the the brand is today. Amazing. Amazing. Justin, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. And uh, I can't wait to connect again. Thanks for having me, Carl. All right, man.